You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. The meal that I keep coming back to was one afternoon driving down um, in Northern California and coming across, a, 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 there was an oyster farm where you ha- they just had picnic tables up just above the water and they had the bags of oysters in the water and it was cold and it was windy and it picked up the scent of the, of the water and the scent of the water was exactly the scent of the oyster and the flavor of the oyster. So you were like surrounded by this oyster flavor to be so kind of surrounded by the, it was a, it was a total sensual experience because everything was, was uh, focused on that, on this, on the taste and on the smell. And it, I, I've never, I've never had a meal greater than that. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Russ Parsons, who is a former food editor for the LA Times for over 20 years. Russ now lives in County Waterford in Ireland, where he writes a brilliant monthly food column for the Irish Times magazine. I have to say that this is one of the most enjoyable interviews I've done in all three seasons. I've always believed that food and travel are inextricably linked, and this episode is for all lovers of food and everything to do with food. Russ is a fountain of knowledge, so enjoy. Russ, you were the former food editor for the Los Angeles Times, um, and you were there during the time when it was, was the, I think it was the number one selling newspaper in the world at the time, wasn't it? Is that in the it 90s? Was. It was. We were, it was. It was a grand time. Um, I was a, I was the food editor or and or columnist. I went back and forth between managing and writing, although I always wrote um, for 26 or 27 years before I retired. And at one point we were uh, we were we were in tall cotton, as they say in the United States. We, I think we had one point. Our Sunday circulation was like one point four million or something like that. Um, and, you know, food sections, especially during the holidays, we would have food sections that would be uh, that would be 100 pages for the food, just for the food section alone. Um, and so we had resources and we could do all kinds of amazing things. And that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then the fun stopped. <laughs> you know, the world changed. So I think we need to let people know like how I actually got to know you. And I feel like I know you really well. And that's just from your Irish Times article. So you're a columnist in the Irish Times you do a food article, a monthly one, I think it is. And yes. you, your article coincided perfectly with for around the lockdown time. And because I'm a, I'm a publican by trade and the pub was shut. So I started, I became that cliche. I started getting into cooking and baking. So then your articles oh. coincided with that perfectly because what you were saying was exactly what I was thinking, i.e., you know, comfort food is what I love. So I, I, this, I, this idea, I went, do you know what my family, you know, stews and all those old Irish foods that I love, I'm going to have to start cooking them myself because my wife really is, my kids are all into pasta and stuff like that. And then your articles, that's what they're about, about, I would say, comfort food and ingredients and Irish foods. And yeah, it's, been, it's been a real, um, it, 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 it's been a wonderful experience for me because, um, you know, I've, I've been, I wrote about food for, I don't know, 30 years, maybe a little bit longer than that. 
And after 30 years, and 30 years, that was 30 years in Los Angeles. You, you kind of get to know, you know, you know the groundwork, right? Moving to Ireland, everything's different. Not everything is different. There's so much that's different. So in a way, it's been a real, it's been kind of a rebirth because I'm, I'm still curious about food, but there wasn't as much to be curious about in Los Angeles anymore. Um, uh, but here, the, it's, it, it's, uh, it's a, an opportunity to start learning fresh. And I really, really, I love that. Yeah, you had a great line. It was something like saying, you know, and you suspect all immigrants, when they come to a country, have to adapt to that right. country. Right, right, right. You know, and I'm, I'm very, I, I very proudly wear the label blow in um, <laughs> because, I mean, that's who I am. And I'm, I'm actually a second generation blow in because. My, uh, my, I was raised in a military family. We moved every year. Um, so I'm, this is that blow in is a natural state for me. And, and one of the things you learn as a blow in is to, is, is that you don't expect the world around you to adapt to you. You learn to adapt to the world around you. You learn to, 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 you, you learn to understand and the, it, it takes a, um, you learn to, ha you, hopefully, you learn a little bit of a, a kind of humility that, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming here with all of the answers. And that, that was, when, honestly, when I was, when, uh, when, when Mary Claire pitched me, the Mary Claire Digby is the, the food editor, and when she pitched me, the, asked me to write for her, um, I didn't want to do it because I told, I told her I, I, that was, that, you know, coming from Los Angeles where all, you know, everybody's a blow in and people usually de develop very, very fixed opinions, strong and fixed opinions on what Los Angeles is about uh, between the airport and their hotel. You know, by the time they've arrived at the hotel, they understand everything and they're, they're so happy to lecture you on what, I never wanted to be that guy. I didn't want to come into Ireland and be, be I thought that was really wrong to, to come into Ireland and, and presume to talk to Irish people about Irish food. Um, but she convinced me that there was a that, that that there was a way to do it that that I wasn't lecturing and I wasn't being the expert, but it, I was taking people along on an exploration, and that in a way, taking people along on on that exploration was allowing them to rediscover some things for themselves. And I thought, well. It was a great sales pitch, Mary Claire. You got it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what the article is. I mean, I just one article. My favorite one is the one that you wrote about the Irish butcher shop. And oh, yeah. No exaggeration. Every time I go, even I was in um, Santiago in Spain uh, last week and I was going through the markets and there's a whole meat section. And again, I was thinking about that article because I turned to the guy beside me and said, I feel like a kid in a candy shop here in a, seeing all these different meats. And I love that article because, you know, the, you talk about the community and the variety and the skill of the Irish butcher shop. And, you know, it was great seeing it, you know. Well, and, 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 and coming from the United States where the, the kind of um, what they would call, quote unquote, artisanal butchers are are bit of a coming thing in very, very urban areas, you know, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York. Um, a, a, a butcher shop that sold meat that, that came from a specific place, either they raised their own or that they knew the people who were, you know, from one ranch where they were raising it um, and, and where they would cut meat for you and where um, 
and 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 uh, of that quality, um, it, it would be you would be paying you would be paying you know sixty dollars a kilo or sixty euros a kilo for for that kind of meat. It would be and you you know you would almost have to pass like a personality test that would be given by the butcher who would be you know either a man or a woman with strange facial hair and tattoos on both sleeves and you know it, it's like. Uh, are you actually worthy of this? Here, it's a given. I mean, there, there are, I, I singled out one butcher who's my, obviously, who's my butcher. Um, but there are three or four great craft butchers within, within walking distance of my house in Waterford. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a done thing here um, that I think that people may, that some people may take for granted. And, and, and that was part of that, that exploration thing of saying, you guys don't know what you, you don't know how good you got it here. <laughs> yeah. So we are talking for ages, and I, I the idea is to go through your locations. So I think ah. we should start with your locations, okay. if that's okay. I'm very excited about this. I have to say. So the first one is Umbria, if I'm right. Umbria, yeah, it was uh, Umbria was a real um, it was a revelation for me. Um, first of all, I, I had been an Italophile for. A, a couple of years, even to the extent of taking um, Italian language classes and that kind, and you know, there was something about the there was something about the cuisine that I thought spoke to me, you know. Um, and so the, my first trip to Italy was to Umbria, and Umbria, and it, first of all, there's that 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 thing of arriving at some place that you've dreamed about for so long, um, which everything else is, you know, but um, but. There, there was Umbria was perfect for me because it was it was the countryside. Um, the food is very simple, um, but really, really delicious, deeply delicious in that kind of elemental way. You know, I used to say that you know, like French food is about the elevation of the of the uh, of the ingredient, and Italian food is about the celebration of the ingredient. Where 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 you just you know you start out with um, you start out with a with, with great tasting greens and then you braise them in a way that actually just brings out the flavor more rather than disguising it or adding any, anything to it and uh, it's and Umbria is also um, is blessed with great natural beauty um, very hilly very green um, you know lots of history. Um, uh, lots of crafts. There's great um, uh, Deruta, the, the great uh, pottery pottery center is in is there. Um, really, really good wines that aren't um, that aren't international in style. You know, it's a place that has a um, that has a specificity, and that's something that I really like. And I've been to Tuscany. I haven't been to Umbria, but Tuscany is it similar? The sort of rolling hills, but less the touristy. Land- the landscape is some yeah Umbria is basically Tuscany without the without the Germans <laughs> or, or English. It's uh it's um uh, the the landscape is very very similar and, and there's a lot of things there there are a lot of similarities they're adjacent, um um but it, but but the the it's more, it at least it seems to me to be uh, more purely Italian rather than. You know, and I love I, I love Tuscany and I love Florence and all. It's a great place to visit, but you get a feeling that there that you're kind of being catered to. There's there's this is designed for you, the tourist. In Umbria, you're dropping into. My feeling was always that I was dropping into um, that I'm dropping into um, a community 
you know. And like, you know, Italian food, like Italian uh, chefs, you know, it's like they're doing the food. It's, it's for comfort rather than to, uh, you know, doing a new style or to surprise you. It, 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 that's that's changing, you know, and unfortunately it's changing. I think there's 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 there's, there's, a, there's a real strong wave of of uh, of um, cucina moderna. Um, um, but I, I, that reminds me, I was having a conversation with somebody who very a smart Italian guy, and, he, and we were talking about the difference between restaurants in America and restaurants in in uh, in Italy. And he said that, and I think it it stands in for that um, uh, for modernity versus tradition. And he said that in America, uh, chefs cook to surprise. In in Italy, cook, chefs cook to reassure. Yeah. And he and he said that uh, the problem with cooking to surprise is that you can only surprise somebody with something once. So you have to keep reinventing yourself and you can only reinvent yourself. I mean, realistically, you can only reinvent yourself at a high level so many, so many times. Um, you know, he said in, in, in you know, in, in, in Italy and, in, you know, if you go to Bologna, you know, there are, there are restaurants that have been serving one dish per day, but they've been doing it for, for 150 years. You know, it's like, okay, it's Wednesday. We're going to go to so-and-so for Bolito Misto because that's what they're doing. You don't find that kind of uh, that kind of loyalty, that tradition, um, other places so much. One of my favorite, probably my favorite food is um, spaghetti vongoli, and mm -hmm. uh, I love going to Puglia. And like the last time I was there, <coughs> essentially every day it became trying to find the ultimate spaghetti vongoli. So just yeah, yeah. and the variety, like it's such a simple ingredients, but. Every restaurant was something a little bit different. It was quite amazing seeing it, you know. Yeah, and the, the thing is, and I think the thing that you probably discovered is that there is no ultimate spaghetti no. al vongole. It's it's that there are there are just many spaghetti al vongole. You know, it's a it, it, it that that celebrate the idea that that there has to be a definitive version of a dish is is a, is a very strange and very kind of. I think it's a it's it's one that's foreign to most cooks because I think. If you cook, you know, um, it, within your culture that you may that you may be doing the, the same dish as your next door neighbor, but you do it differently. That's how cooking works. You know, you may have learned a dish from your mother, but you added your own thing to it. And that's that's what's special about cooking is that we we start with a format, but then we bring our own selves to it and we adapt it to the way we like it, to the way we think. Exactly, because actually I read you said something saying, you know, that uh, it's all about the ingredients, simplicity, and not seeking perfection. And that ties in with that, doesn't it? Right, 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 right. Because it, you can, you can always, you should always be trying to improve. You should always be trying to, you know, thinking about what you're doing and learning about it and learning from your mistakes and learning from your successes. But the idea that you're going to eventually arrive at some place where you have some kind of platonic ideal of a, of a dish, I think that would be, you know, that would be sad. Agreed. Because then you would stop learning. <laughs> and you, um, am I right in saying that you prefer cooking at home than going out? You know, like oh, people, absolutely. people might absolutely. be surprised, you know, might think, oh, food editor, you're out all the time. But you, that's your thing, isn't it? It's about home cooking. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely. I, I wrote two cookbooks. Um, my, my thing has always been, um, you know, it's a with, with the old Peace Corps thing that you can, you can, uh, you know, was it 
you could take a, um, give a man a fish and you fed him for a day, teach him to fish and you fed him for a life. <laughs> My idea is, you know, tell somebody about a great restaurant, you've given them one great meal, teach them to cook something, you've set them up for the rest of their lives. And, and that I, that's always been my that was that's always been the person that I've been writing to was the person who really wanted to cook at home. And, some, you know, and there's a lot that we can learn from restaurant cooking. And there's, you know, but but to try and to assume that that's the um, that that's that should be the goal of every home cook, I think, is really, really wrong. I mean, and it's when you think about it, at least from the, the, the during the time when I was learning to cook, when you talk to great chefs, the person who always inspired them most wasn't another great chef. It was their moms. Exactly. You know, and, and, I, and so I think, I, think, I think if you, when you have a culture, a food culture that is based on, uh, on, the, on the restaurant, you're missing that crucial foundation of, of, of kind of like a, um, a, a sense of, of, uh, of shared taste. You know, there's a push now in Ireland for... Um, you know, by some people, by a lot of chefs and stuff about teaching cooking in school. And I, I you know, another article you did about your daughter in, in water, or your granddaughter in Waterford teaching her to cook. And I think that's such an important thing, isn't it? That it should be yeah. part of school. It should be part of school and it should be part of every household. And I understand, yeah. you know, I mean, when you've got both parents working and you know, dinner, is, dinner is often an ordeal. Just, just getting people fed is an accomplishment. Um, but when you have time, um, I, 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 I think it, I think it's important to bring kids into the kitchen, and even if they're not, even if it's not set up like in an instructional format, you know, okay, here's what we're doing, and here's why we're doing it. Let them see you enjoying yourself in the kitchen. That's an important lesson. You know, that's lesson number one that the kitchen is a place where a, a place where you can relax and you can enjoy yourself and you can be creative rather than um, it's a place of drudgery. You know, I, I mean, for me, and I, I, I acknowledge that this isn't true for everybody. And it's not true for my wife, but for me, you know, uh, cooking dinner is not the same as doing the laundry. You know, it's, 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 not, it's, it's not like an obligation that you just kind of get out of the way. It's something that I, that, that's, a, that's an important part of my day. Especially under lockdown, it's like the only important part of my day. Exactly. Wake up thinking, what am I going to do for dinner now? Huh? <laughs> exactly. And you know, actually, one of my first memories when of my mother is her baking bread. And the funny thing is, I don't ever remember baking bread after that. But my first memory is being beside her in the kitchen baking bread. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, there's something you know, the, the the smells of that and the sounds of that are so they're so deeply you know the bread bread in the bone i guess is what you could say exactly so your next one i can't uh-huh. even pronounce it and i it's the first time ever there's been a location that i had no idea where oh. it was so, oh is that mendocino yeah exactly <laughs> okay so mendocino yeah mendocino is um is in northern california uh it's north of san francisco um an hour and a half north of San Francisco. So, I mean, California is a huge state. To drive from Los Angeles to San Francisco is about seven hours. And then you go another hour and a half north of that, and there's Mendocino. It's on the coast with mountains right behind it. Um, it's a, but it's a, for me, Mendocino represents what California used to be like and what, what the kind of dream of California is. Uh, there's fantastic wineries. Um, uh, there's a, there's, there's 
there, there are all kinds of, there's wonderful cheese makers. Um, uh, there's great fishing, uh, you know, uh, commercial fishing. There's still like lots of wild salmon up there, or there, there used to be anyways. Um, uh, and it's, and, and just, it's, it's a place of, of incredible natural beauty. Um, a, a place where, um, uh, you know, you think of the Cliffs of Moore and, uh, and, and Mendocino, the, the coastline is, is, is like that, you know, and, and isolated beaches where, you know, you can be on the beach and you can look up and down the beach. It's usually uh, 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 shingle beaches. Um, you can look up and down the beach and for, you know, 10 miles in either direction and there's, there's nobody there. You know, it, it's very much like Ireland in that way. Um, uh, you know, great natural beauty uh, and, and just the kind of uh, the day-to-day -day pleasures of life rather than, you know, kind of the peak experience of going to New York and, and or, or going to San Francisco and or Napa Valley, you know. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes I suppose when Irish people think about California, we kind of just think of it as uh, one place, but there's a huge variety in the, in the place. Oh, there's a huge variety of places in California. I, 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 you, I really realized that my daughter went, went to college um, close to the California-Oregon border. And that was another two hours north of Mendocino. So, it, so you, you know, it, it's like a, it, it was a two-day drive to get from, from Los Angeles, which isn't even the southern extreme of, of California. So there's, a, there's an incredible variety of, of, um, of landscapes and, and cultures in California. And then the next place on your list then is the opposite, you could say in a way, Los Angeles. And you say it's misunderstood. Yeah. Um, yes. It, it, it took me a couple of years before I realized, because Los Angeles is set up as a tourist attraction. You know, I mean, it, it's very easy to go to Los Angeles and spend a week and do the designated things, you know, go to Disneyland, um, take a Hollywood tour, uh, do this, do that. None of those things appeal to me. You know, none of them. I, I you know, I, when my daughter was young, we had to go to Disneyland. So we went to Disneyland a couple of times. But um, the, 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 for me, the really wonderful things about Los Angeles and about, about living in Los Angeles are kind of the hidden out of the way places. There's a rocky outcrop um, called uh, the Palos Verdes Peninsula that's just unbelievably beautiful. And there's almost never anybody, you know, it, it, by Los Angeles standards, not very many people there. Um, uh, you can, there's a place where you can sit on the top of the cliff and there's a whale, there's actually a whale watch station and you can watch the whales going by. Uh, whale watching would be another thing that I would, uh, that I would suggest that every tourist in Los Angeles do to be you're in this intense, intense urban area. I mean, there's Los Angeles County, there's 9 million people. There's more people in Los Angeles County than there are in all of Ireland. Um, and you get, you know, you're 40 minutes out and you're in the middle of the ocean and there's whales, you know, like tons of whales. There's tons of dolphins. There's all of this, there's all of this natural life, you know? Um, another place is uh, the place called uh, Bolsa Chica Nature Reserve, which is which is great bird watching. Just a you know a kind of a calm place to go and walk. If you want to do the Hollywood Hollywood thing, I would suggest um, you know um, uh, the Hollywood Farmers Market on Sundays is amazing. Farmers markets in in California are um, are very different than 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 here. Um, and, and California is a major, major agricultural state. You know, I mean, we, everybody talks about the movie industry, but 
you know, more than half of all of the fruits and vegetables that are grown in the United States are grown in California. And they're all grown within, within three hours of, of most of them are grown within three hours of, of Los Angeles. So farmers bring down their produce. Well, the Hollywood farmer's market is set up. It's right off of Hollywood Boulevard. So you're in that old, you know, that, the, the, that, that old grunge, uh, you know, the, the, the mixture of grunge and, and, and spectacle that, is, that, that everybody expects from Hollywood. Um, but there's amazing, you know, just absolutely amazing produce. And it, it probably covers two or three acres. And, and the people are the, the people watching is the real thing because there's everything from there's a lot. There are a lot of chefs who go and all of that kind of stuff. And then there'll be like celebrities and the celebrities are all dressed down. You know, they'll wear baseball caps real low and they'll have sunglasses on or a hoodie or something like that. And then because it's Hollywood, there will be, you know, like the most flamboyant drag queens that you've ever seen, you know, like seven feet tall on roller skates and they're just rolling through. And so it's that real, you get a real sense of kind of the weirdness of, uh, that's celebrated in Los Angeles as well. So your next spot, uh, Gascony, France, where is that? What Gascony is fairly, uh, it's in the Southwest. Uh, and that was a, that was a, that's a fairly recent discovery for me within the last three or four years. My experience of France had been basically, you know, the tourist experience of Paris. Um, and, and, and I liked it and it was, you know, it was, it was great fun, but it didn't, it didn't kind of speak to me on that deeper level. Um, but we have some friends. We have a, a friend who moved from from uh, California to to this little town, a, a little town in Gascony, and uh, we went to visit her. And it was uh, it was uh, it, it was it was a, a reconnection with that kind of with deep France, you know, of what I think of as deep France. Where the, again, it was almost Italian in the in the approach to food. That um, uh, like uh, boy, they do a lot of every part of the duck that you can imagine except for the quack you know um uh things are very the food is 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 fairly straightforward it's it's um it's not um it's not over overly intellectualized it's not overly complicated um but it's got that real immediate you know um, visceral deliciousness it's i guess you know it's the idea of every day every day there ought to be some beauty in your life you know, um, and, and I really love, I, I love that. Gascony is where the Three Musketeers came from. Uh-huh. And it's, um, you know, and it, 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 it's, it's resolutely old fashioned. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a terrific agricultural area. And, uh, you know, and it, it, it's, uh, uh, they do, it's like Ireland and that the natural ingredients are very good. They do more elaboration there. So, you know, great, great, um, um, you know, pâtés and sausages and, and, um, and, and things like that. Um, so, you know, kind of taking it up a little bit and also it's a warmer climate. And so they have, you know, it's much more friendly to, to growing fruits and vegetables than Ireland is. And Bordeaux is part of that region, isn't it? Am I right in saying that? Uh, it? It's not no. part of the region, but it's adjacent oh. to it. Okay. And, and the Pyrenees are fairly adjacent to it as well. And the Dordogne. I yeah. presume in Gascony that the, the Bordeaux, the, the wines have an influence. The grapes are the same, uh, but okay. it, it, it's still very proudly uh, Gasconese, where they, if you go to a big deal restaurant, there will be Bordeaux on the list, but there will also be a lot of local wines. So it's very, they're still very, very centered on, on their local 
local cuisines and their local the local culture. When you when you're in a region, when you're in a place, the wines always taste better, don't they? They do, they do, and it, it, for, for some reason, it, sometimes it doesn't travel well. You know, I think there are international styles of wine that that ha- that that people have adapted to. So uh, you know, you taste uh, Cabernet in California, it tastes much like a Cabernet from Bordeaux or a Merlot from California, Merlot from Bordeaux. But I, what really interests me are those, um, the little indigenous grape varieties or the, the, even the individual, the, the local expressions from, the, from, um, from for, even from, from familiar grapes. So what they do with, with, what they do with Cabernet, with Merlot in, uh, in the Southwest of France is a little bit different than what they do with it in, in Bordeaux. I mentioned to you, like I was in Santiago um, and I went to the markets. I love doing that, going to the markets uh-huh. wherever I'm away. And I'm sure you're the same, that you, you my guess is you're always going to the market to see what markets the projects are. Museums. Yeah. <laughs> there are museums. There are art museums for people like you and I. <laughs> you said the best strawberry, Mara de Bois, is from Gascony. Am I right on saying yes. that? I, I didn't, I don't know that they are the, I, I, I've, I've learned never to say the best. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, the, the the best that I've had. Oh, they're, yeah, they're yeah. among the best that I've had. That's yeah, that's uh, good line. They have a. They, there's almost like a. I mean, they taste. It's a it's a strawberry, so it tastes like a strawberry. It's silly, but uh, there's almost like an overtone of, of of violets. There's a flowery quality to it that's just compelling. And how does that and of compare? course, I love my Wexford strawberries too. <laughs> you, just, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say, how do they compare to the Wexford strawberries? So you moved to Waterford because your daughter and son-in-law, you followed them to Ireland. and Right. Well, we came the first time um, uh, five years ago or six years ago, right when they'd first moved. We came during the summer. And uh, no, actually, it was, a, it was a, a late summer, early fall. And um, and we came on our way to visiting friend, friends in, in France and in, in Italy. We, we were going both places, and and thought, oh well, we'll stop in. And at the end of the week, we thought, oh, we kind of like this, you know, we, we like this. And so the next next year, we came and we we spent two years. I mean, sorry, we spent two weeks, and then we kept coming and spending a little bit longer each time. Then I guess three years ago, we came for for the summer. We spent we rented a house from a friend and. It stayed for two months, and at that point, we really, um, uh, we we really started thinking about um, about about relocating or for a for a longer period of time, um, and and we really it just it ticks all of the boxes, as they say, you know. Um, uh, I'm a, I'm a real history buff, and Waterford has got such spectacular history right at our doorstep. I mean. You know, 15 minutes from from my house is the is, is the oldest public building in Ireland. You know, Reginald's Tower. There's five really fantastic history museums here. They're so smart and so well put together. Um, yeah, they're they're still uh, 11th and 12th century walls that you walk through on your way to Tesco. Yeah, that kind of that kind of juxtaposition, um, I, I really love. Um, I love being able to walk everywhere. My my uh, my daughter's house is five minutes from our house. Uh, my pub is ten minutes. Uh, downtown center is fifteen minutes. Um, so we go we go 
days and days without without even getting in the car. I've got my little circuit that I do on Saturday mornings of going to the bookstore and picking up bread and picking up cheese and picking up coffee. Uh, and, and I think most of all, and, and you you hear it so often that it's a cliche, but I, I just find the people are so welcoming and so friendly. I, the, my local is a if I can give it a if I can give it a, a plug because they need it now. Uh, is Phil Grimes Pub, which is a, which is a great pub. Um, he's got such a he's got a great selection of, of beers from all over the world. He's got a great selection of ciders. He's got he's got really good Irish whiskey selection. But the people are so amazing. And when we, we uh, the first time we came, our for our, for our first three vis visits were obviously before the pandemic, so we could actually like hang out at the bar. And uh, and Tom Ryan, who's the proprietor. Had the, you know, he's got that magic publican's way of saying, oh, you would like this person and introducing you in a way that starts a conversation. And you know, within the first week of being here, I felt like I belonged. And I, I would walk in and people would say, hi. You know, I, I came, we came back the second time and, uh, and everybody said, oh, hey, Russ, how are you? Like, like, I'd been, like they hadn't seen me for a week or something. It had been a year in between. So uh, we just we found the people in Ireland to be um, to be so welcoming and so friendly and and that it's so different from Los Angeles. We have great friends in Los Angeles, but in Los Angeles, you kind of it takes a while to to uh, for people to open up. In Ireland, we found that people are just open armed from the very beginning. And I love what you're saying about the Irish pub because sometimes it's forgotten a little bit, as you said, pubs. It's, you know, like I think on, on um, Lonely Planet, it's the number one thing that tours, they say tours want to see when they come to Ireland. It's such a part of our culture and it's such a great, I always say that like, go to a pub, particularly if there's a, a trad music section on, go, to, oh, into, yeah. go into that pub, just sit down near the band and all you have to do is say to someone going, that's great, isn't it? And that's the conversation started. Yeah. Or you could just say, oh, lovely weather we're having, isn't it? And <laughs> yeah. that'll be... You know, that, there's there's 20 minutes right there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, the, the difference between pubs in, Amer in, in Ireland and, and bars in America, and I've worked in bars um, when I was in college, you know, bars are almost like dispensaries, you know, where people go and they drink, they get their drinks. You know, they, they go there to drink. Okay. In a pub, people go to talk. Okay. And they serve beer, you know, they'll, or, 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 or you know, they'll, 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 they serve drinks, but it's, it's not, um, I, I think for most people, that's not the reason that you go. The reason that you go is to see people, you know, it's an extension of your living room an extension of, uh, it's where friends meet rather than, you know, I'm going to go and, and, you know, and take my medicine. Exactly. And you can talk about any. Do you find Irish people, do we talk about food? We, are we not as interested in food or have you noticed that or, or are we? I, it, I think there's, um, I, don't th I don't know that you can generalize. I think that mm -hmm. there are people who are very interested in food and they all, uh, there's people who are very, very knowledgeable about food and who have traveled quite a bit. Uh, and then there are people who, um, you know, like food is kind of the thing now, right? You know, yeah. It's a cliche in America, food's the new rock and roll. And so there are people who, who just want to, to be able to talk about food. And then there are people who kind of just, you know, take food for granted and just like what they like. Um, and and I, I, I find that to be kind of more refreshing. 
I hope this isn't doesn't come across wrong, but um, I think we're uh, in Ireland at the at an early stage in um, in developing a food scene. Um, I think I think there are parallels between Ireland today and where California was maybe 20 years ago, um, and, and mostly that has to do with um, um, with moving from um, the kind of restaurant that. Uh, well, from the from the burger, pizza, kebab kind of kind of like give people what they want to um, trying something that's a little bit different, you know, and, and that's that's um, that, that's really Irish. You know, um, I love um, uh, J.P. McMahon's book. There's a there's a very fundamental restaurant in California called Chez Panisse, which was kind of the birthplace of all of the California cuisine. And, and, and that book strikes me a lot the same way where he's taking traditional techniques and traditional ingredients and just elevating them in a way, being a little bit more careful with them maybe um, and, and trying the, um, um, ornamenting them around the edges, not changing the, the, the essential of the dish, but kind of putting little twists on it that make you appreciate the dish in a, in a different way. And I think um, if I if I had a hope, if I if I if I could be um, bold enough to have a hope for other people's food scene, it would be it would be that that's uh, that's the way things go. Rather than than it, trying to imitate food from other places, digging deeper into into what we have here, it takes a certain kind a certain combination of factors before you can have a really great international scene. You know, in Los Angeles. Uh, that, that Los Angeles is different than almost any place in the world. In Los Angeles, you know, there's more, you know, people are always pointing out there's more Koreans than there are um, in any place but Seoul. Uh, there, there's more Persian or Iranians in any place but, uh, but Baghdad. There, you know, all, all, all of these kinds of, we have huge communities of, of specific ethnic groups um, that are very, very demanding. And so, so you know, you go to an Iranian restaurant in in in, in Los Angeles, and, and the, most of the people who are there are going to be first generation Iranian, and so the and the food is very very good. That's 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 very very difficult to replicate. You know, there are only so many Iranians that have moved to other places. Uh, even you know, the, uh, Mexican restaurants or, or Central American restaurants or Chinese restaurants. You know, in Chi- in in Los Angeles, it's like. Um, you know, the, the, the thing isn't Chinese. It's like which sub-region of China and most of the people who will, who will be going to that restaurant will be from that area. So they're very, they place the different demands on the chef. The chef has to cook to that traditional style rather than trying to figure out what these crazy Americans are going to want from Szechuan cooking, you know? And so I would hope that in Ireland that they would, that, that people would, would explore deeper into what we have here rather than looking across at what other people have and trying to adapt it in a way that, that, that may or may not fit people's palates. I agree. One of my favorite things is oysters with, you know, just lemon and so simple, but you're tasting the sea, the Irish. Oh, I know. I mean, oysters don't even get me started. The, <laughs> the people, people sometimes ask me, it's like, what, what's, the, what's the greatest meal you've ever had? You know, I've been really lucky, been able to eat in some really great restaurants and, you know, Michelin three-star restaurants and, and, and work with the, those people. But the, the, the meal that I keep coming back to was one afternoon driving down um, in Northern California and coming across, a, 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 there was an oyster farm where you ha- they just had picnic tables up, up just above the water and they had the bags of oysters 
in the water and it was cold and it was windy and it picked up the scent of the of the water and the scent of the water was exactly the scent of the oyster and the flavor of the oyster so you were like surrounded by this oyster flavor and i'm a sucker for oysters anyways i, I they're, they're like one of my favorite foods but to be able to be so kind of surrounded by the it was a, it was a total sensual experience because everything was was uh focused on that on this on the taste and on the smell and it, I, i've never i've never had a meal greater than that so I, I forgot to say to actually, the, my last question that I ask people, if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths, where is your happy place and why? Like I always find anyway, to, to cover myself, that the first thought that comes into your head is the right one. It could be anywhere in the world or anything. My happy place is not, is not necessarily um, a location, but it's a feeling. Yeah. Um, and, and so I would say it would be like if I had to be specific about a location, it would be either on my back porch here looking out over, you know, we're very, we've got a lovely, lovely house and a, a wonderful, wonderful view clear to the Comoros uh, in the summertime looking out over that or uh, or being home in Long Beach. And we've got a because of the weather there, we we dinner outdoors six or seven months out of the year. And we've got a big, an arbor of bougainvillea that's always really beautiful and having friends around the, uh, friends and family around the table um, in either of those places. But for me, the key is having friends and family around the table. We've been to, we've been to Clonmel twice. Um, uh, the, the favorite place that we found in Clonmel was the um, uh, St. Patrick's Well. Yeah, that is magical. It seems, it's so essentially Irish and it's just a, it's a, yeah. just like a, there, there's not a parking spot even. It's like a wide place yeah. in the road. And then you walk down in this, yeah. you're in this absolutely gorgeous, magical, peaceful place. I mean, both times we've been there, uh, there've been people with big jugs filling up, the, filling up drinking water. So thank you so much. I could talk to you forever. Uh, it, was, it was a great conversation. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcasts so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Fergal.